word. I'm going to say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the KJZZ Studios in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. National Poetry Month continues, and after a virtual trip to Tucson last episode, we come back to the Valley of the Poet for some frank discussion. Anti-Asian American prejudices is not something that just cropped up. Unfortunately, this is not our first time to the rodeo. It's terrible rodeo. Plus, how is the former Phoenix Poet Laureate promoting poetry since her tenure ended in 2020? So let me say that I've not been productive as a writer maybe during the pandemic, but I've been productive at growing a nonprofit apparently. But first, Shantae Orion is one of the editors of Rinky Dink Press that focuses on micro collections of poetry in a microzine form priced right at only a dollar. To date, the press has published over 80 single author micro collections. This month, they've also been producing video pop up readings like this one. Hey, y'all. It's me, it's your boy, Randy Hefton Jr., uh, out here in Phoenix, Arizona, right in front of film bar, the LG place. Uh, I'm going to be reading my collection of poems um, from Long Tall Scally um, about my car that was near and dear to my heart called the Scallywag. So here we go. One, the right side of the bumper is half off like a Macy sale. The AC cuts on and off like high school relationships. I don't mind it. Two, The windshield's cracked and I like to romanticize it for poetry's sake while I'm drinking gas station wine alone with the moon disapproving of my decisions. Three. The sun-dried forest green machine navigates through the night like a Shakespearean ghost looking for its forlorn love or long-lost revenge. But don't tell her I said that. She hates Shakespeare. Four. Long, tall scally. She wasn't built for speed, but for copious crumpled up burrito receipts, but for abandoned water bottles warmly waiting to be kissed again. Five. My baby's on her last legs, and I don't want her last memories to smell like stale stellar artois and stale tears. Who do I need to talk to for a lifetime supply of ocean mist car freshener? Thank you. You can find out more about Rinky Dink Press. The info is on our website at word.kjzz.org. Shantae joined me recently to talk about the press and his own writing, some of which was shaped by his travels as a child with his mom, who brought him to the valley at a young age. He's been living here ever since. When I was really young, my mother just kind of was hitchhiking around the country with me on you know, strapped to her back and we were in a lot of really weird places and she wanted me to have like a more normal childhood when I went to school. So <laughs> she came out here. Well, I've got to believe, depending upon how much you remember of that, that has been, your experience has been a backdrop for maybe some of your writing. Yeah. At least just the overall aesthetics, you know, maybe like always seeing things with kind of like a tourist's eye, outsider. Maybe wanderlust as well. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about your experience over the course of the last year. Obviously, as far as readings have been concerned, spaces have been shuttered for a while. Things are starting to open back up again. Was the pandemic at all influential in your writing? Did it change much for you? It pretty much stopped it. 
<laughs> um, oh, is that right? I had been working on a book for the last five years, and it finally was to the point where it was coming out, and uh, it, it was coming out right when the pandemic hit. So we suddenly had to cancel our book launch, and and so it just it kind of took me a while just to even figure out what was going on. You know, I, I really couldn't write with all that uncertainty over my head for the first few months. And, you know, just trying to figure out what was happening in the world was tough enough. Even though I was on furlough for a while and I had plenty of time, I just wasn't really in a writing mode. Now, the book that you're talking about, is that Gravity and Spectacle? Yes, okay. it is. And this was a collaboration with photographer Gia Baker, who's well-known as well. Yeah, Gia Oak Baker. She's a poet and photographer. You know, she handled all the photographs. It's really a beautiful piece from what little I have seen of it. As one of the editors for Rinky Dink Press, what types of material do you look for when you're thinking about publishing um, something? We want something that'll impact us, and we'd like it to surprise us in some way. We like it to seem concise, urgent, direct. And how about locality or regionality? Is Does that factor into the decision process? We've published poets from all over the country, even, you know, other countries, you know, London. Um, people send us work from all over the world. I don't even know how they hear about us, but we get submissions from all over. It's great. Some people have a very clear focus that, hey, I just want to work with Arizona writers or I just want to work with Phoenix writers, for instance. This program tries to focus on the literary arts here in Arizona and the region. We sort of cross borders east and west uh, to Southern California and into Western New Mexico, sometimes a little further into New Mexico, but we try to stay in that region. Obviously, Phoenix is our home center, but last episode, we focused on Tucson. And we do get a lot of Arizona-based writers in reading, mainly because I think so many people around here know Brinky Dink Press, so it right. helps. We get a lot of submissions and also, we have so many great writers around Arizona, too, so there's plenty of good work floating around. I've been working a lot lately on our April-long Microfest for Rinky Dink Press. So we're rolling stuff out every week in April, new collections and new Zoom Micro Monday sessions. And then I've been filming some of the poets around here so that we can post several pop-up micro readings throughout the week. So... There'll be some exciting stuff coming out from Rinky Dink Press this month. That's awesome. I wondered if you would take us out, Shantae, with a poem of your own. Sure. Here's one from that book, Gravity and Spectacle. A lot of it takes place in some of the you know, like underground music scene that was happening around Phoenix for a while. This one's called Forever Like the Stamp on Your Wrist. 18 months of hand-drawn flyers and suddenly... Everyone knows the words, but it's August in Phoenix, so nobody sings along. Because air conditioning never opens for my friend's band. They play three and a half songs before the cops show up. Ten dollars in advance, gentrification at the door. There's a lot going on in it. That is deceptively simple in terms of its brevity to me. But there's so much going on there. That's everything I would try to aim for in any of my uh -huh. poems, I guess, to try to be deceptively brief. 
Yeah, and does that come from a real-world instance, or is it completely imaginary? It's, it's a composite of many real-world instances. So it, you know, pretty much every piece in there is from you know a particular show that I was a part of or that I was an audience member of, and you know, kind of combine them all into one piece for the sake of brevity. But yeah, they they, they all happen. Well, Shantae Orion, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and sharing some of your work from Gravity and Spectacle with us. And as you mentioned, it's a collaboration with Gia Oak Baker, a photographer and poet as well. And Shantae, please be safe. And thanks so much again for coming to Word. Thank you so much for spending time today, Tom. You can find out more about Rinky Dink Press and Shantae Orion. The info is on our website at word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. You rely on KJZZ. I like to hear what's going on in the rest of the world to understand what's going on in my world. The governor argues students have already missed a lot of learning, and schools should stay open with appropriate precautions. It's very important that the federal government partner not only with getting vaccines to the states, but with helping states administer the vaccine. You can trust KJZZ for the perfect mix of BBC, NPR, and KJZZ News. KJZZ Spot 127 Youth Media Center is a qualifying charitable tax organization, which means that your contribution is eligible for a dollar-for-dollar credit on your Arizona taxes. Visit taxcredit.spot127.org today and support our award-winning students. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Imogen A-Rate is a fellow podcaster who hosts Poets and Muses. It's an award-winning weekly podcast on which Imogen chats with poets about their inspirations and reads their work. Imogen is an Asian-American, and I began a recent discussion talking about how she's been coping with seclusion over the last year, as well as recent news about the high number of hate crimes directed at Asian-Americans. Um, I think I've been very lucky in that because of uh, unfortunate personal incident um, circumstances, I've had sort of training in, in seclusion. Um, so in that sense, I did not feel like it was too much of a change. Uh, what had changed, as I mentioned to you last year, was the <clears throat> realizing that being Asian American means that I sometimes get shunned yes. or get looks. A national database of over 3,800 hate crimes against Asian Americans has been released. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as an Asian American yourself, at this stage with what we've been hearing recently, are you hopeful at all in this coming year that that statistic won't be repeated? Mm -hmm. What do you think needs to happen? I read that and also um, I saw some of the news news segments, uh, people who have much more expertise than I do talk about how let's not just judge by those numbers alone of what have previously took place because unfortunately anti-Asian American prejudices is not something that just cropped up over the last year. It's been around since we have been a part of this country. Unfortunately, this is not our first time to the rodeo. It's terrible rodeo. Uh, Don't like to repeat. Just just from reading a lot about different sort of prejudices in all kinds of directions, for me, 
prejudice is an outcropping of human ignorance, and we have plenty of that to go around. And no matter what kind of expertise we become in whatever areas we decide to concentrate on, the fact is what we will know compared to the knowledge that is uh, possible for human understanding and then is very a, a very tiny portion and then compare that to all the knowledge that is possible uh, to to know um, or even impossible to know it is even a smaller proportion so <sighs> I want to be helpful and I have seen people come together and in those moments it does, when I see those, it does give me rays of hope. At the same time, I also see plenty of people whose egos are so fragile that if you were to point to them and say, hey, what you said there, it's painful for me. Um, Yes. That somehow they take it as a personal attack. Well, I wonder, Imogen, if you would take us out with a poem of your own and uh, if you'll give us the title and tell us how recently this was written. Thank you for inviting me to read. I am going to read the poem that I wrote because of the shooting that took place in Atlanta. And what's the title of it? It is called Eliminating Temptations. I tell my mom not to visit the accountant's office. Ronas run amok, suffocating freedom of movement. A news article said an elderly Asian woman was shoved to the ground. Donald wants Rona to be our fault. The walls of my apartment wrap me like a protective cloak whose porousness amidst the chilling draft of side-eye glares. I scrub myself clean of my heritage, but my eyes my cheeks, my nose, tell another story that doesn't allow a really bad day to end in a murder spree. That's for a paler lot than us. Someone told me I'm the wrong shade to opine. Then flash the peace sign because V fingers can scissor away the pangs of exclusionary acts. When I'm standing at the back of the BIPOC line, I tell my mom there's only so much I can do to protect her. That's a stunning poem. Thank you. And I am fond of saying I empathize, but there's no way that I can possibly understand, right? I just can't. I feel like a lot of people could empathize with that poem, uh, folks who are listening to this. I think the writing community is a place where people of all walks of life come together. And so perhaps this community that we've built here on Word and that you've built with your program, Poets and Muses, can contribute to that healing in the near future. I hope so. I I think it's very important to be coming together with mutual respect and understanding in mind. And that requires some degree of humility, willing to damp down one's egos, despite the fact that we're, you know, poets, we want our words to be known. Right. Um, right. Sometimes it takes conscientious effort to yes. say, this is not my moment right now. Let somebody else speak. 
Well, Imogen A-Rate, I want to thank you for coming back to Word and speaking with our audience about your experiences over the course of the last year. Imogen is host of Poets and Muses. Imogen, thank you so much for coming to Word again. Thank you very much for inviting me again. I really appreciate this. You can find out more about Imogen A-Rate on our website at word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. It's getting hot out there, so you may be spending even more time indoors, or at least on the patio. Ask your smart speaker to play KJZZ for the news and entertainment. Keep cool and connected with your public radio station. Just say, play KJZZ, and your smart speaker becomes a radio. You can get a lot of things delivered these days, and now that includes the latest Arizona news from KJZZ's Sun Up podcast. I'm Phil Latzman. Everything you need to know to start each day delivered to you in this handy little podcast. Go to kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts and download KJZZ's Sun Up today. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. We close out this edition of the podcast with Rosemary Dombrowski. Her tenure as Phoenix Poet Laureate ended last year, and the city did not renew the position for 2021 and beyond. Poets who have been conducting what we might call zoomoetry over the course of this last year have reacted to the use of teleconferencing in a variety of ways. Some say it's been a drag not to engage in person with their audiences. Others, though, have seen their work expand to national and even international audiences as a result. About this time last year, Rosemary and I were scheduled to sit down in person to talk poetry, but pandemic protocols were instituted at our studios, and we've been talking to guests online ever since. Recently, I asked her how a year of doing the same has affected her. I wouldn't say that it's had a direct impact on my writing. It's obviously had a more direct impact on my teaching and my outreach and my community workshops and things like that. And as far as the work in the community, Zoom has greatly expanded my reach, our reach, the art community's reach. I think now when you know we're conducting anything from a micro poetry workshop to a therapeutic poetry workshop to a talk about um, you know the medical applications of poetry, I can get three times as many people to participate easily because they can participate from anywhere in the valley. Right, right. Uh, you know, at noon or anywhere in the valley at 6 p.m., you know, for people who were too burned out after work to drive to an event. So I would say attendance at workshops, readings, performances, talks is up. I don't think that that <laughs> translates directly to my productivity being up <laughs> as well. Uh, I would say probably the opposite because I'm working all the time now. Right. I don't think it's been great for my writing, um, but you know, I'm carving out space this summer to do that. I think many of us are trying to you know, carve out space in the future. Uh, I'm happy for people who have been able to be extraordinarily productive with their writing. I want to talk about Revisionary Arts, which is a 401c3 nonprofit. One of the tenants in the social media page is that use writing and explore sort of self-care and, and healing by exploring one's own vulnerability through writing poetry. Yes. And we have talked about this kind of thing in the past on this show. 
um, in a different way. Uh, I talked to a professor at the University of Arizona a couple years back, and she teaches medical students, and so she has a class. Unfortunately, her name escapes me right now, but she has Mm -hmm. a, a class in which she tries to essentially teach people who are in science and and medicine the importance and the value of literature. And they also have uh, Mm -hmm. arts, sculpture, painting, that kind of thing, essentially to boost their humanity, their Mm -hmm. bedside manner, if you will. Sure. Right. To grow their empathy. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Is that what this is about? Well, I started conducting therapeutic poetry workshops in the Valley years ago, And I think I was talking about medical poetry years ago simply because I live at the intersection of poetry and medicine, given that I have a medically fragile, disabled child uh, who's now 22. So I guess it's been part of my life for a long time, but I didn't realize that I could plug myself into the medical humanities by teaching things like this. And a couple years ago, Barrett Honors College gave me the green light on uh, launching a class called Poetry and Medicine. So that's the class that I teach at the university. And the first two thirds of it are basically just a seminar where we discuss the intersections. We look at the intersections, you know, we analyze the intersections of poetry and medicine from antiquity to the present, spending a lot more time in the 19th, 20th, 21st centuries, obviously. And then the last third of the class is me essentially teaching the students how to facilitate therapeutic workshops. And so they come to some of the workshops that we're facilitating in the community. We break the workshop down into these uh, sort of replicable parts. And then the students in small groups sort of embark on, you know, whatever research they need to embark on in order to kind of recreate these parts of the workshop. And then I forge community partnerships for that class specifically. And then my groups of students at the end of the semester uh, facilitate these free therapeutic workshops for those community partners. That's really cool. So it sounds like we're doing something similar, but my class is is very specific to poetry. And my students are all also uh, medical studies students who take that class. And many of them go on to intern with Revisionary Arts. I have three of them interning with Revisionary Arts right now. So they're going on to facilitate some of our open to the community workshops by themselves. I mean, I'm I'm stunned. I'm really stunned by the fact that I've already spoken to Banner Health. I've already spoken to Honor Health. I've already spoken to the VA hospital. And I have a partnership with U of A Biomedical Campus. I mean, I'm on their medical humanities advisory board already. I I don't know how any of this happened so quickly. So let me say that my writing maybe has not been terribly productive. I've not been productive as a writer maybe during the pandemic, but I've been productive at growing a nonprofit apparently. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, and give yourself some credit. It's just one of those things. I think we all try to stay busy For those of us who need to write, I'm lucky enough that part of my living is done by writing, not creatively necessarily. But it's one of those things where it's hard for us, I think, sometimes to just stop and and get away from all this technology. And while we might be encouraged to go outside in wide open spaces, it's it's not the same without other people there, you know. But I wonder if you had a short poem uh, that you might take us out with. 
when my students were getting ready to facilitate their therapeutic workshops this past fall, which they had to facilitate remotely, one of my students had selected an Emily Dickinson poem to read during the workshop to sort of inspire the writing exercise. And the poem by Emily was, the morns are meeker than they were. And it was a poem of Dickinson's I hadn't read in years, and I fell in love with it again. And during that class period, where my students were sort of doing a dress rehearsal of their therapeutic workshop facilitation, I wrote this poem. So I wrote it in response to the prompt that my students were, you know, going to be giving the community members in the workshop. And I modeled it after The Morns Are Meeker Than They Were by Emily Dickinson. And it's called The Mornings Are Quieter Than They Were, an elegy for 2020. The chalk art has faded. The graffiti has been covered by a mural. The flags have flown at half-mast, been burned and restitched again. The stars have been hidden behind clouds of pollutants, conspiracy theories about jet streams. Another comet has passed the earth. Another hurricane has hit land. My mother's hips have crumbled in their sockets. My brain has processed the screams of children in cages and the one in the next room. There's been a buzzing in my heart, a stinging in my ears like a warning from another time zone. The crowds have gone bankrupt. The marches have been corrupted. The last time a wall came down, there was a love parade in the streets. Like everything, the parade has been indefinitely postponed. Whew, that is stunning. Um, in a, in <laughs> That's a my word. elegy for 2020, inspired yeah. by Emily Dickinson. I will say that, you know, the majority of my 2020 was inspired by Emily Dickinson. I'd been doing a lot of biographical research on Dickinson. I'd been working with Dickinson's fascicles, um, you know, as a researcher and a creative, I've been engaging with Dickinson's fascicles, which were her handbound books. She made 40 of them during her lifetime. Oh, wow. And I think that's a really important link to zine culture. And so I'd been sort of working on that from like a scholarship perspective, but also from a creative perspective meaning I've been going back into the original manuscripts of these fascicles and I've been trying to translate them into 21st century vernacular. So Dickinson has factored into almost everything I've done in the past year. And ironically, I submitted a story about Dickinson, an oral story about Dickinson that was selected for her birthday celebration at the Emily Dickinson Museum. And so that was aired internationally back in December. My Dickinson story was <laughs> shown That's back awesome. in December as part of her birthday celebration. And then the museum put out a call for poets who had written poems that were inspired by Dickinson in some way. Anyway, it could be a loose way. And so here I have this collection of these things that I call translations that I've been working on of Dickinson's fascicles. So I submitted those to the Dickinson Museum and I got selected for their new reading series. And so I'll be reading those at the Dickinson Museum in November of this year. You know, as far as attributes, they are innumerable. We'll just close out by saying, Rosemarie Dombrowski, thank you so much for coming to Word once again. And <laughs> best of luck, my friend, and, and please take care of your health. Thank you. You as well, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. I love this. 
You can find out more about Rosemary Dombrowski on our website at word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks so much for supporting the literary arts in Arizona and the region. Word. Word? Word. What's the word? Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.